everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right, we're going to start today talking a little bit about appetites. Appetites uh, can uh, be a wonderful thing, and um, they can move us toward things that are very desirable. They can also get in our way a little bit. Anybody here ever been hangry? Ever had that experience, right, where you're, you're hungry, but you're angry? And anybody ever tried to coach a small child through the hangries and help them understand that they're not actually upset, they're just hungry? How'd that conversation go for you? Yeah. Anybody before you had kids walk through Target or Walmart and see the three-year-old rolling around on the floor screaming, no, I want it right now, and thought very self-righteously, when I have children. <laughs> yeah, how's that working? How's that going for you? It is, uh, it is amazing, right, how our appetites can be such incredibly powerful forces in our lives. In fact, maybe you even know someone who's been ruled by an appetite. Maybe somebody that you worked with, maybe somebody that you've had a friendship with, somebody that you've been in a relationship with, and you had the ability to observe as an outsider that there was an appetite in their life that was actually ruling their life, that they were making decisions based on this appetite. And when it's a three-year-old who's got the hangries, when it's a three-year-old who doesn't understand delayed gratification, like it's, it's kind of understandable. Um, it's probably not cute, but it's something that we can kind of get our head around because we, we understand what that feels like to be overwhelmed by an appetite. But usually by the time we're adults, we get a little bit better at masking it. We get a little bit better at understanding that the expression of my appetite you know, has certain boundaries in polite society. And I can't roll around on the floor and scream, I want it right now. But at the same time, there very much is that sense in us that there are some things we want and we want them right now. And the reality is that our appetites can either rule you or you will rule them. You can rule your appetite or your appetite will rule you. Rule them or they will rule you. And uh, if you haven't experienced this already with your appetite, you know that at some point your appetite is going to come into conflict with the kind of person that you want to be, the kind of person that you tell your kids that they should be, that there's this opportunity for appetites to actually take the legs out from underneath us. And that person that we want to be, that person that we want our kids to be, that person can easily be sidetracked by an appetite because if we're not careful, if we don't rule the appetite, the appetite will rule you. And in fact, this is why we're talking about it today because what happens so many times in our lives, and you've seen this probably in the lives of other people, our appetite comes and rubs right up against our integrity. And at some point, we have to choose between our appetite 
and our integrity. And this is why we're in this series right now, which is your integrity, our world, right? Because your integrity is going to impact your whole world. And your integrity at some point actually impacts my whole world. That our integrity, while it is in fact personal, it is not private. Our integrity is something that's public. Our integrity impacts the relationship of the people around us, the people that we work with, the people that we live in the neighborhood with, the people that we maybe coach our kids' sports teams with. At some point, our integrity and our appetite are going to come into conflict with one another. They're going to rub up against one another, and we're going to be forced to choose, are we going to allow our appetite to rule the day, or are we going to see things through the grid of our integrity? As Andy talked about last week, are we going to let our integrity guide us? And so um, we looked at this verse. This is kind of the verse that has been our theme verse for this series. We looked at this verse over the last couple of weeks, and this verse is that the integrity of the upright. Now, just for a moment, and this might feel a little weird if you weren't here last week, but I want everybody to sit up straight in their chairs the way that your mom taught you to sit, right? Before you learned all these bad habits and you slouched all the time. Sit up really straight. Um, Anybody have those folks at work that come around and help you with ergonomics in the workplace? You know, maybe they've told you how your keyboard should set and all this. And of course, for all of us, they've told us, you know, your posture is really terrible. You're like, me? My you sit up straight. So the reason we're going to do this, and this may seem kind of weird to you, but this verse actually uses our posture as kind of a symbol or a picture or a representation of how someone with, with integrity lives. Because when, we're, when we have poor posture, when we're sort of slouched forward, we're just looking down. We have the short view. But when we, when we lift our head up and we have good posture, when we are upright, We have the long view. We look out in the distance. And we understand that there are decisions that we make now that can affect us far into the future. And these decisions are so often where our integrity and our appetites conflict. So the integrity of the upright will guide them. That our integrity will actually be the filter or the grid through which we make the most important decisions in life. That if we are upright and we're living the way that God designed us to live, that we will look far down the road and we will have the long look, not the short view, at the things that are most important. And 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 we'll make good decisions and we'll make good trades when we trade our time or we trade our opportunities or we trade our relationships. We're making good exchanges, good trades because we have the long view in mind. And our integrity actually becomes the guide, the filter, the matrix through which we make our decisions. But the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. So it's just like your mother said, if you have poor posture, it will destroy you. Because you're going to look at the short view instead of the long view. So there's a few different um, definitions that we've talked about, Andy's talked about in the last couple of weeks as we talked about integrity. Um, integrity, really, at the end of the day, is just doing the right thing, the virtuous thing, the noble thing, no matter the cost, 
No matter how high the cost, no matter what it's going to cost you, even when the cost is very, very steep, we're going to do the right thing just because it's the right thing. We're going to do the virtuous thing, the noble thing, just because it's the virtuous or noble thing. We're going to do the right thing no matter what. It's doing what you ought to do even when it costs you. This is the way we would boil it down for our students in student ministry, right? We'd say it's just this simple. It's doing what you ought to do even if it costs you. One of my favorite quotes is from Elizabeth Elliot, and she says, you can always trust God with the consequences of your obedience. That's what it means to live with integrity, that you're going to do the right thing, and then you're going to trust God with the consequences of that. Um, perhaps the, the, the best way that I think of to think of integrity is that it comes from the same word that we get integrated, integrated living is living with integrity. That I live in such a way that who I am in public and who I am in private is the same person. It's an integrated person. It's an integrated life. That's integrity. That the person that I am at work and the person that I am with my spouse and the person that I am as a dad and the person that I am down the street in the neighborhood, that that is the same person that I am integrated in my life. And I recognize that wherever I go, there I am, right? I take me with me. And the common denominator oftentimes for some of our bad decisions is ourselves, right? And so we have to recognize that in every situation, I bring me and I want that version of me to be the same version no matter what. So here's the tension that we have today. And here's why we're talking about appetites. And here's why we're talking about it in the context of integrity because our appetites pose a constant threat to our integrity. Our appetites, if we're not careful, are maybe the single greatest threat that we have to our integrity, because at some point, you're gonna to come to the realization that to the way to get the thing that I want, the way to satisfy the appetite that I have is going to make a compromise in terms of who I am. And I'm going I'm to have a choice at some point. Matter of fact, I would say that before today is out, everyone in this room on some level will have a choice to make. Am I going to rule my appetite or is my appetite going to rule me? Am I going to make a trade today where I trade my integrity to satisfy my appetite? Or am I going to give up my appetite to preserve my integrity. Now, when I talk about appetites, there's all different kinds of appetites, right? You probably think right off the bat, the first thing, the obvious one is food, right? Hunger, food, yep. Um, what's the second one that comes to mind? Anybody? Appetites? Shopping. That's a, that's a good one, all right? That's a good one. Uh, anybody else? Anything? Exercise. You have an appetite for exercise. You're a different kind of person than I am, Heather. <laughs> This is why we all admire you, yes, um, says the triathlete in the front row. Um, so we have different kinds of appetites. None of you, none of you yelled sex because you're in church, and who would say that word in church? But, you know, that's an obvious one, right? When you think about the things that, where people have said, I have such a strong appetite for this, and I'm going to let this appetite rule me. I'm going to let this appetite take down my family. I'm going to let this appetite take down my career. I'm going to let this appetite take down my future, 
there's all kinds of appetites that come to mind. But here's, here's a few more. There's a bunch more, right? So there's acceptance, uh, there's intimacy, there's inclusion. These are just many different appetites. There's a whole bunch more that's on this list. Respect. Maybe you, you know, again, a lot of this is tied to our story and what our experience was growing up, right? And so we, we have these deep-seated needs for recognition, for fame, for progress. Maybe you're somebody just like, I just want to get things done. And you don't think of that as a negative thing. In fact, it's probably served you very positively in your life to make progress. But that is an appetite that comes from within you. Uh, maybe you have an appetite to be envied. You want somebody else to look at your life and say, man, I wish I lived in that house. I wish I drove that car. I wish I had that job. I wish I got that promotion. I wish I was married to that person or dated that person. You want to be envied. Um, stuff, I'll throw that under the shopping category. Uh, more stuff, I'll throw that under the shopping category. Uh, news, can we just have like an Amazon category here for everything. You guys do that with your budget. You're like, this is too hard to itemize. It's worth creating a new category in the budget. It's just called Target. And it's everything that we bought at Target. You know, um, responsibility, achievement, winning. Like there's all kinds of appetites in life. And here's what theists believe about appetites. Okay, here's just what we believe about appetites. First of all, we believe God created them, sin distorted them. Okay, so these appetites that we have in us are they're remnants of the way that we were created, the way that we were designed. But then at some point, sin came into the world. Sin came into our lives. We allow sin into our lives. And sin, that idea of putting us first, corrupts or distorts our appetites. So that's the first thing that we believe. The second thing that we believe is that appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And, and so you kind of go through life and you, you, know, you think, oh, if I just had this, then I would be satisfied, right? And then you get that and you're not quite satisfied. And you look at someone else's life and you think, oh man, if I just had what they have, if I, if I had been able to go to that school, if I had been able to get that degree, if I'd been able to get a job at that company, like that, that would be it. And, but then the reality is, we all know this is true. We don't think about it a lot, but there's, there's a whole lot of other people in this world and they're looking at you and they're looking at the opportunities that you've had and the degree that you have and the job that you have and the family that you have. And, and they think that if they just had your life, right, that they would be fully and finally satisfied. And when we all, you know, every time the lottery gets up, now it gets like over $2 billion, right? Which after taxes and everything, you get like $34. But every time the lottery goes over $2 billion now, um, it used to be like when it got over $100 million. But y'all have raised your appetites. And so now the lottery has to get over $2 billion before I have one of you approach me and say, Pastor... When I win the lottery, we're going to have us a big building, right? It's like, I, I just need a little more, then I'll be generous, right? And that's because appetites only have a one-word vocabulary. Do you know what the one-word vocabulary is? The only word that appetites know, more. Appetites just want a little bit more. The final thing we know about appetites is that appetites always whisper now and never later. 
Like if you're wondering about something and you're thinking about something and this little voice in you says like, well, maybe we should wait until after we get paid. You know, that's not an appetite, right? That's wisdom speaking. Appetites are like, dude, you know, put it on the credit card, you'll get paid. It'll be fine. It'll all work out. That's an appetite. An appetite says now. Appetites are not good at delayed gratification. Appetites do not understand, like, no, we're going to wait. We're going to be patient. We're going to, appetites do not understand delayed gratification. And so um, the, the reality is that you take all these things together and you recognize that our appetites are posing a constant threat to our integrity. And if we want to live in lives of integrity, if we want to live the kind of lives that are integrated, that we're the same person everywhere we go, and that we're the same person that we tell our kids that they should be someday, then we have to figure out how to keep our appetites in check, or as we're going to talk about today, what it looks like to surrender our appetites to our Heavenly Father who created us. Because it's in constant, constant tension. In fact, you, you probably, let's just say of all those appetites that we listed a minute ago, let's just say yours is achievement, okay? You want to achieve things. And I, and I chose this one because there's a lot of people in this room that I consider to be like high achievement, high capacity individuals. I mean, you guys talk with me about what you do during the week, what your job entails, your role in the community, and I'm just blown away by some of the high capacity, high achievement people that are in this church. And, and yet, advancement, achievement, you know this. If you're a high achievement personality, you know that at some point, you have been and you will continue to be offered opportunities to compromise your integrity for the sake of achievement. Because you learned a long time ago that the fastest way to get to your goals is not always the honorable way to get to your goals. The, the most expeditious way to make your quarterly numbers is not always the honest way to make your quarterly numbers. And so the question that we have to come back to again is that verse from Proverbs is, will my integrity guide me? Will my integrity guide me or will my appetite guide me? Which one is it gonna be? Which one is it gonna be? And we're gonna look at a story today that I think illustrates the issue of appetite and the danger of more in our lives better than any other story in the Bible. And my hope is that as you hear this story and as you think about how it applies in your life, the choices that you've had to make or have made, the choices that you will make, that this story is something that you remember maybe for the rest of your life and you can apply this story in situations when you are tempted to compromise your integrity for the sake of your appetite. And it's the story from the Bible of Esau and Jacob. This is actually from the Hebrew Bible. Um, it's a story that goes back about 1800 BC. We have two brothers, Esau and Jacob, and um, they are Abraham's grandchildren. You guys ever heard of Abraham? Kind of a big deal in the Jewish story, right? He's the father of the Jewish people. And so now we're early in the story of the nation of Israel, and these are his grandsons. And we have two brothers, and um, they're Esau and Jacob. Now, if you grew up in church, you might think of them as Jacob and Esau, uh, because Jacob is later, his name is changed to Israel, and the nation of Israel becomes descendants of Jacob. But 
Um, that's a little bit later in the story. We're going to start earlier, and we're going to start when they were still known as Esau and Jacob, because Esau was the older brother. Esau was the stronger brother. And, um, you know, oftentimes you refer to your kids, you just kind of start with the oldest and work your way down, right? And, um, you know, that's maybe a little bit of a thing in our culture, but man, in their culture, birth order was everything. Birth order was a big deal. In fact, as the oldest, you would inherit something called a birthright. You would inherit a birthright if you were the oldest son, if you were the firstborn son. And a birthright was a big deal. Birthright came with a few advantages. Um, the first advantage was that you would get a double portion of the inheritance. So that's kind of nice. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not such a big deal if there's only two kids, but in their families, there were often like eight or nine wives. Each of the wives had a mess of kids. So you got like a lot of kids. If you're the firstborn son, you get a double portion of the inheritance. Now, the second thing that you got as part of a birthright is that you actually got what was called judicial authority, which I'm a firstborn son, and I think that we should bring this one back. Judicial authority meant you had the final say in all family disputes. Anybody for me on that? Like, sound like a great idea? I think this sounds fantastic. So even in like the, the situation, you've got extended family. And you know, back then, you got to remember, if there was a family feud back then, blood was shed. It was a big deal. Things got violent quickly. And in this kind of situation, there was an extended family. Again, like I said, you've got multiple wives. And so you've got a lot of half-brothers and half-sisters. I mean, you can have families where there's a hundred siblings. Can you imagine that? A hundred siblings. And if you are the firstborn male, you have judicial authority. So folks come before you, they bring a dispute. You say, I heard all, everybody's thing. I've heard it all. Here's my decision. And your decision was law. Pretty cool. So the third thing that, uh, that a birthright brought is that you actually got your father's blessing when he died, which in, in a lot of ways um, was just a, a kind of a picture of what God's blessing would look like in each one of our lives. And so there was some representation there that was important with birthright. So all of that's really important because we are going to look at a story today where um, Esau and Jacob have probably the most consequential conversation of either one of their lives. So the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So there's already a very clear division in who they are, their personalities, and what they like. Their father, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Esau is bigger, he's stronger, he's the hunter, he's daddy's favorite. But Rebekah, the mother, loved Jacob. So already you have this unhealthy family dynamic that develops. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. Remember we talked about being hangry, right? We do not make good decisions on an empty stomach. And uh, so Esau comes in from the open country and he's famished. So Jacob's been doing what he does well, which is evidently cook a mean stew. And Esau comes along and he has an appetite. And he said to Jacob, quick, quick. That's an appetite speaking. Whenever you hear quick, that's an appetite. An appetite has a heavy right foot. An appetite's like, let's get there now. 
Let's do this now. No, let's not wait. Let's not think about it. Let's not go home and sleep on it. No, we want to make the decision right now at the car dealership now because we like that one. It's shiny. It's in the color we want. We want to do this now. Quick is a word that comes from our appetite. So he says to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I love that it's red stew. I uh, I still have my wisdom teeth. Every time I go to the dentist, they try to talk me for, for I won't say, for, for, okay, who cares? For 54 years now, they've been trying to tell me to take these wisdom teeth out. I'm like, no, I like red meat. I still use, I am a carnivore, red stew. So he's like, let me have some of that red stew. So here's Esau, he's the hunter. He's the one that has killed the wild game. But Jacob has the ability to turn this into Oh, something really special. So he's quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. I'm famished. Now, you probably didn't think you were gonna come to church, get some lessons on negotiation. But today, we're gonna learn a few things about negotiation that you might find handy. One of the things about negotiation is you never want to give away that you're famished. You never wanna give away early in the conversation like I'm desperate for this. This is called negotiating from a place of weakness. Right off the bat, he has already told his brother, I'll do anything. Here's a blank check. I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to do anything. I am famished. The second thing that we're gonna learn about negotiation today is that if you're in a situation where you're having to negotiate, stakes are high. One of the best things that you can do, I learned this 15 years ago from Dave Ramsey, I've put this into practice so many, I cannot tell you how well this works. Be quiet. The person who is most likely to talk themselves into a bad deal is the other person. You don't have to sell them on what you've got to sell. They will sell themselves on it. They will talk themselves into it. In fact, a minute ago, I said, every time you've made a bad decision, you know, guess who was there with you? You. Every time you've made a bad decision, you know who the most compelling salesperson in the room was? You. You sold yourself on it. So here, here comes Esau. He's making some big mistakes in negotiation right off the bat. He's admitting he has a tremendous need. And then as we see here as the story unfolds, he is going to sell himself on this. But as a younger brother, now I'm an interesting, right? I said a minute ago that I'm the firstborn son but I'm actually the youngest of four. So I have three older sisters. This is why I go to therapy on a regular basis. Um, I have much trauma from my childhood. Uh, having three older sisters is a lot like having four moms, which is to say you never get away with anything, like somebody's always catching you. But when you're the youngest, every once in a while, you have a rare opportunity where you catch your older sibling, right? And you recognize I have a rare opportunity here because I'm in the position of strength. Usually as the younger sibling, you're not in a position of strength. You can't negotiate very well. But every once in a while, you have the opportunity to say to your older siblings, so you don't want mom to know what time you came home last night? So you don't want mom to know that you're dating that guy that you promised her that you would never go out? So you don't want mom to know and then you have that opportunity, right, to ask for something. Now, you know, good negotiation, you start off with something maybe kind of easy, get them to say yes to something right off the bat. 
You know, and so in the 70s, anybody with me from the 70s? In the 70s, it was like, hey, can you give me a ride? Because my sisters were all older than me. Hey, can you give me a ride to the skating rink? Anybody else remember going to the skating rink? Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit later, it was like, hey, can you give me a ride to the mall? And then as you got a little bit older, it was like, hey, can I borrow your car? Can I drive your car? Can I take your car to the beach? You know, it's like you just go right for the big ticket item. You say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maximize this opportunity. Well, Jacob is no dummy, and Jacob's going to maximize this opportunity as well. So he said to Jacob, quick, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And then Jacob, it's almost like he was waiting for this moment. Jacob says, first, sell me your birthright. Your birthright. For a bowl of stew? I feel like maybe Jacob could have like kind of worked up and started with something smaller and worked up. And he's like, no, this is my opportunity. It may not come around again. I'm going right for the big ticket item. I want your birthright. What would be a reasonable response to that request? Heck no, no way. I'm not giving my, for a bowl of stew, this isn't like a lifetime supply. This isn't like somebody came to you and said, hey, I've got a lifetime supply of Chick-fil-A. In which case you might be like, you can have my kids, you can have whatever, you know. I'll do anything for Chick-fil-A, but this is one bowl of stew. It's temporary. It's short term. It's for the here and right now. It's going to be gone in just a few minutes. Who would trade their future for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their position in the family for a bowl of stew? Who would trade their future, their integrity, all of the opportunities that God has designed for them? Who would give up their future for a bowl of stew? Nobody would trade their future for something short-term. Or maybe any of us would trade our future for something that's right here. Maybe as I talk about this, you think back to a time in your life when you traded your future for nothing more than a bowl of stew. Maybe you're in a situation right now and you know, maybe, maybe no one else in your family even knows about this, but you know that you're on the precipice right now and you're, you're about to trade potentially your future for a bowl of stew. Maybe you're in a position right now where you're about to trade everything for a bowl of stew. Maybe you're about to trade what you want most in life for a bowl of stew. And men, let me just talk to you because I'm a guy. I don't know what the ladies are thinking. I don't know what the ladies want most in life, but I can tell you as a guy, one of the things that you want most in life is the respect of your adult children someday. And there is no bowl of stew in the right now that is worth trading the respect of your adult children someday. And yet we've all seen it happen. We've seen it happen in our families. We've seen it happen at work. We've, we've seen it happen with the neighbor down the street. Somebody made an incredibly bad trade and they traded their future for a bowl of stew. Esau says this. He says, look, I'm about to die. 
It's so dramatic. It's like, dude, you did not come in here on a stretcher. You walked into camp. You were not about to die. But he says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? To which Jacob is thinking, well, it's worth a lot of good. That's why I'm asking for it. But he doesn't say anything. He, he's going to let Esau talk himself into a really bad trade. What good is the birthright to me right now? I added those words to the text. That's not in the text right now. But that's what he's thinking. He's saying, what good is the birthright only has value in the future after our father has passed. Do you know that researchers, uh, that research goals have found that we devalue the person that's more than 90 days into our future. We devalue ourselves, the future version of ourselves that's more than 90 days away. That's why lately there's been much more emphasis on 90-day goals, quarterly goals, because you will treat you in the next 90 days as you, and you will make good trades on that person's behalf. But the version of you that's a year away, that's five years away, that's 10 years away, you treat that person, psychologists tell us, almost as if it's a different person, as if it's it's not you. And you will make such a bad trade in the present because you will give away your future for a bowl of stew now. And so Jacob says to him, swear to me first, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau what he asked for. He gave him even more. He gave him some bread, threw some carbs in there with the protein. He gave him some bread, some lentil stew, so that he would feel all filled up. And he ate and he drank, and then he got up and left. I don't know how long your family takes to eat dinner. I'm always amazed how it can take two hours to prepare dinner and you sit down and everything looks great, smells great. And like 10 minutes later, everybody's gone, right? Just like just a wave of destruction left in their path. He, he couldn't have taken more than 10 minutes to eat this bowl of stew. And in 10 minutes, he had forever changed the trajectory of his life. And this is what he says as he walks out or what he thinks, what he feels as he walks out. The text tells us that Esau despised his birthright. Isn't that interesting? He despised, why would you, your, your birthright's this inanimate, intangible thing. He despised his birthright after he made the trade. The same, same reason that you and I do this. After we've made a really bad trade, after we've sold something at a discount, then in our minds, we discount the value of that thing. After we've sold it at a discount, we tell ourselves, you know what, wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know what? That thing that I gave away that I can never get back, it's not that big of a deal. And, I, and you know, one thing that the text doesn't address, but I thought about this a lot as I've read this story, is the text doesn't talk about how this trade, now one thing we know from the text is that Jacob and Esau never told their father that this trade had been made. But I think often about what this must have done to Esau's relationship with his father. He never told his father. His father didn't find out until he was on his deathbed. But I think Esau knew. Esau knew that he had traded away the most valuable thing that his father had to offer him and he gave it away for a bowl of stew. I wonder how that affected their relationship. 
I wonder how your relationship with your heavenly father is impacted when you trade away something valuable, an opportunity that he gave you and you alone, and you traded it away for a bowl stew. Here's the reality. You can't be yourself as long as you're lying to yourself. He says lying to himself, it's not worth anything. It's not that valuable. And so he not only can't be himself, he can't really know himself, and he certainly can't give himself away because now he has a handicap, he has a limp for the rest of his life. And he can't get that back. Because when you make a bad trade, it's irretrievable. Our appetites, our appetites compete with our integrity. Our appetites compete for our future. And uh, we share this, these kinds of truths, by the way, this is the kind of thing we share in student ministry. In fact, one of my favorite truths that my kids learned here in student ministry is something we say often in student ministry. And it's very, it's very much along the same lines as this. We say your friends will determine the direction and quality of your life. Don't you wish that somebody had shared that with you when you were a teenager? Don't you wish you'd heard this story when you were a teenager? Or you'd thought about it in this context that you could be making trades as a teenager as a high school student, as a college student, as a young adult, you could be making trades that would impact the rest of your life. You could be making trades that you would regret for the rest of your life. And when we talk about this with students, one of the things we say to them is, look, look, some of these relationships that come into your life, they're only gonna last for an instant. Like you're, you think these relationships are such a big deal right now, but you're gonna look back someday and you're gonna realize that that relationship was unhealthy. But a relationship doesn't have to, have to last for a long time to have a negative impact in your life, to leave you after having made some kind of trade, to leave you not just having made a bad deal, but leaving you in debt, leaving you scarred. Because some of the things that you're tempted to trade away, some of the things that you're tempted to give away just to satisfy an appetite, they're irretrievable. They're not unforgivable. I want to be really clear on that. Our Heavenly Father, who is full of grace, he can forgive anything and he could redeem anything. But just because something is forgivable doesn't mean that it's retrievable. It can be lost to us forever because we traded it in the moment for a bowl of stew. So the question that I want to ask you this morning as we land this today is what is your bowl of stew? What is it right now? Like I said a minute ago, maybe it's a private thing. Maybe nobody else knows that you're on the precipice that you're wrestling with this. Maybe people do know. Maybe your family's talked to you. Your, your, your boss has talked to you. Friends have tried to talk to you. And you're like, nope, nope. You know what? I want this. I want this. My appetite must be satisfied. And what is your bowl of stew? And are you willing today to surrender your bowl of stew to your heavenly father? Are you willing to say that you will trust God for the consequences of your obedience? That your integrity is going to guide you and not your appetite? Are you willing to say today, I will not trade. I will not trade what I value most for something that I have an appetite for, for now.
Am I willing to say today, today's the day I draw the line. Today's the day I make a decision. Today's the day I'm gonna value most my integrity. I'm gonna make decisions I'm gonna be proud of in 10 years, in 20 years. I'm gonna live a life that's a story I wanna share in 10 years or 20 years. And so we're gonna do something we don't do very often here at Access. But I'm gonna ask the band to come back out. And um, when the band plays one more song and we stand to sing, if today is the day when you're willing to say, I'm through with the stew, then I want you to come and walk right down front here and stand with me. If today's the day that you're willing to say, I am through with the stew, I am not going to trade what's most important. I'm not gonna trade my future to satisfy an appetite right now. And there's another group of you that I wanna invite to come forward as we're singing this song as well. Maybe you're in the room today and you made a bad trade a long time ago. And you haven't even thought about it for a long time until I brought it up today and I surfaced this for you. And you realize as you're thinking about this bad trade that you made, that you still carry that with you, that you still have the scars from that, that you still walk with a limp because of that. And as I've surfaced those emotions today, you thought, man, I, I still feel the resentment and the pain and the anger over having made a terrible trade in my life. I wanna invite you to come forward this morning as well and to let that go and to say, I, I may not be able to get that back, but I'm gonna allow my heavenly father to redeem that in my life. I may even go back and find the people I need to apologize to, to say, I'm sorry, I'm gonna start to make it right, but I am no longer gonna allow that bad decision in my past, that bad trade to impact my life today. I wanna invite you to come forward as well. So as the band plays the song in just a minute, I wanna invite you to come forward, to stand here with me and to say, I am through with the stew. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for your grace and your redemption in our lives, that you can take situations like this in our lives and you can redeem them, that you can make something good from them. Heavenly Father, some of us have been carrying a burden for too long. And today we want to run to you. We want to run to you, Heavenly Father. And we want to bring to you the burden that's been on our heart. And we want to say, I am through with the stew. I want to honor my Heavenly Father. I want to live a life of integrity. I want to walk with the upright. I want to have the long view, not the short view. I want my integrity to guide me, Lord. Help us to be these people. Change us, God, from the inside out. Amen.